A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. So before we get into this week's episode, I just want to say that conversion therapy is not therapy. And that word feels very misleading because this is actually abuse on LGBTQ plus people. No one should be told that their identity is is something that can be cured. Yes, we've talked a lot about conversion therapy on this podcast. Uh, If you don't know what it is, it's the attempt to change someone's sexuality. Many lesbian, gay, bi and trans people are being poorly treated by religious organisations and health and social care services in the UK who believe that sexual orientation or gender identity is something that can be cured. Yeah, the NHS and all major therapy professional bodies say that conversion therapy is unethical and harmful. Previously, the UK government named it abhorrent and promised to ban conversion therapy in the UK. It's now been a thousand days since that promise was made uh, by the UK government. Hence why this episode is called A Thousand Days. Yes. I've just um, realised it sounds a little bit like a Vanessa Carlton song, A Thousand Miles, but like nowhere near as good. Yeah, I mean, that is a tune. That's a massive tune. I didn't think Um, you'd like that. (laughs) Why? Because I only like metal. There is a metal cover of that, I think. Is there? I'll send it to you. Uh, Please don't. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. I'm pretty exhausted by all of this stuff. Like, sometimes I forget that it's even happening in the UK. But even last week, the Evangelical Alliance, which represents 3,500 churches, asked the government not to ban conversion therapy. If that many churches, 3,500 churches, do not want a ban, what does that tell you about how widespread this is. Funnily enough, I walked past the Evangelical Alliance the other day. Anyway, those lot, they believe that uh, they should be able to help people who are struggling with sexual identity. Their argument being that a ban would make it illegal to pray with people who wish that they weren't LGBTQ+. They will hide behind this argument a lot. They'll tell you that vulnerable queer people might not wish to act on their same-sex attraction because they would believe that it's sinful and so they should be able to seek help from the church to effectively pray the gay away but it's the church that are the ones telling us that it's sinful and it's not just evangelical churches recently the vatican um the home of the roman catholic church of course uh claims that it cannot bless same-sex unions as they are a sin yeah there's that word again a sin like stop calling it a sin why is the church so obsessed with gay people like stop being so obsessed with us a gay and a non-gay I'd also like to point out that in 2012, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology revealed that 9 out of 10 homophobes are gay. I may have added some artistic license to that. Yes, I think when you see a homophobe, you have to question, is this person really gay? They've got so much hate, right? So it makes sense that some of that is internal. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, uh, you'll know that James and I met a bloke who thinks that he can transform people for a documentary we recorded for BBC Radio 1 in Northern Ireland. We travelled to his house, which is just outside Belfast, and James had a simulation of conversion therapy whilst I sat outside listening, getting increasingly irate um, as time went on. And actually, <laughs> I sort of thought that I was in Russia. I really did forget. 
ghettos in the UK. We've chatted about our documentary from gay to non-gay a lot on our podcast, but I know loads of friends of mine and listeners that still haven't heard it. And I get that because it is kind of triggering. It's also not in our podcast feed. It's available on BBC Sounds. But today, Dan and I want to chat about the huge effect that making this documentary has had on our lives. We're also going to meet the co-director of Cured. That's a film that's about to premiere at BFI Flair Festival in London and chat about the history of conversion therapy. And for the first time, we've got permission to play a very important moment from our series. Can I just add, BBC Sounds is now available worldwide. Well, hey, it's also on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So today we're joined by Bennett Singer. He's the co-director of Cured, which is this unbelievable documentary about the activists who brought about a little known but incredibly significant victory um, in the movement for LGBTQ plus equality. I didn't even know that this was a movement. It was the decision in 1973 by the American Psychiatric Association to remove homosexuality from its manual of mental illnesses. Bennett, so what was happening before... 1973. Absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you. I'm big fans of the podcast. Stop. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I've been binging. Uh, so yes, in the 50s and, and 60s, starting in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association published the first edition of its manual of mental illnesses. And at the top of the list, there was homosexuality. And that meant that any attempt at civil rights or equality or even human rights was, was off the table. Homosexuality was classified as an illness, but it was a treatable illness. And so that was the climate in the 50s and 60s. Wow. And what were some of the treatments being offered to, as you put it, cure queer people back then? It was a range, you know, um, some more tangibly brutal than others. In terms of medical treatments, there were examples, and we have testimony to this effect in the film, of people um, going through electroshock treatments and castrations, lobotomies, hysterectomies. There's one survivor in the film who being sent to a, a doctor. This was in Arkansas. Uh, and the doctor said, well, we could castrate you, but you know, we'll do something a little less extreme and, and just subject you to electroshock therapy so there was that level of of treatment <laughs> quite a merciful <laughs> approach there right obviously these these shocks and everything obviously don't work but do they just have the effect presumably of just wearing people down of going yeah okay i'm straight like let's just call it a day <laughs> well potentially in some cases um but i think the survivor who's quoted in the film did go through a whole series of electroshock treatments and yet he emerged with his sense of, of being a gay man intact. And I think survivor is the word. He went through this treatment, which had an effect, but didn't change his sexual orientation. And he is an example of someone who went on to, to be a gay activist. Bennett, I think one of the things that really hit me from watching this film is like, A, I didn't realize that this had even been a moment or a movement. And B, I didn't really feel that the world is that different. Like, I've often thought, is being gay an illness? And I guess that's because society has put that on me. So it's kind of surprising that this incredible moment that not, not many of us know about happened back in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s. And yet we're still feeling the effects of that diagnosis. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think many gay people, LGBTQ people, you know, have that question, why am I different? What explains it? Is there a stigma here? Is there an illness? And I think going back to Kinsey, 
which we also cover in the film, the current view that is has been embraced by every major medical organization, including the psychiatric establishment, is that, as Kinsey said, there is a spectrum of sexual orientation and variations that are natural and normal and universal. And so same-sex attraction is not in any way something that should be pathologized. I guess um, since the, the this momentous decision, um, the organizations that offer conversion therapy, they haven't been able to fall back on the mental illness argument. Like That's just gone. So instead, we've just seen everybody pivot to the religious quote-unquote arguments is that fair to say do you think we've basically moved from going oh gay people are sick to now saying gay people are going to hell right i think you know there was always that religious argument before but it's true that in 1973 the um, medical argument really went away and so in fact the first ex-gay ministry that was offering to cure and, and convert gay people was founded in 1973 love in action that was exactly the same year that the APA removed homosexuality from the DSM. And so I do think there is a connection there. And there has been this movement among religious folks to offer this false promise to, to cure people. That's an amazing coincidence, isn't it? <laughs> Something that comes up a lot in the film, and I'm wondering what your opinion is as co-director, it's the idea of sadism. So these people in the 50s that the shock therapists that we see and also people today that that pretend that they can do conversion therapy are they psychopaths or do they mean well i like to think that they meant well you know they were in general doctors who had taken an oath it's such a good question though because the, the aspect of do no harm doesn't seem to have been paramount and what about the modern so-called therapists i i think they're presumably well-intentioned. But again, I, I think as with the re-examination that members of the APA went through, um, I hope that present-day therapists also re-examine the practices that they're engaging in. It goes back to this fundamental notion that, as we say, as one of the activists says in the film, there is no cure for that which is not a disease. Thank you so much for coming on again and on Gay today. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to chat and I, I'm very grateful to both of you for engaging with this film and these ideas and, and helping to spread the word. For more info and to stream Cured, you can visit their website at curedocumentary.com. And Cured is available UK-wide as part of BFI Flare, London's LGBTQ plus film festival, until the 28th of March. Head to bfi.org.uk forward slash flare for full details. These people talk about how gay can be cured right but this movie perfectly explains that being cured is actually being accepted and there's an amazing turning point featured in the film where ronald gold from the gay activist alliance in new york joins a panel of psychiatrists at the apa annual meeting in 1973 to fight for the removal of homosexuality as a mental illness and i want to play a moment from that speech psychiatry dedicated to making sick people well, is the cornerstone of a system of oppression that makes gay people sick. And my anger isn't turned inward. It's focused outward toward my oppressor, including those of you who think you have the right to decide that perfectly happy people 
who don't do the slightest harm to themselves or anybody else are sick. Gold goes on to say, nothing makes you sick like believing that you're sick. Ronald Gold also dropped another banger when he was on this panel. He said, the worst thing about your diagnosis is that gay people believe it. And that is shame. It's when we're told that we're different or that we're sick or that we're sinners and we believe it. Church and religion now play a huge role in perpetuating stigma, discrimination and physical harm towards people because of their sexuality. So we saw this when we interviewed former Christian singer Vicky Beeching in our series about gay conversion therapy. Yeah, Vicky spent years trying to change her sexuality so that she wouldn't be gay anymore. And now, thanks to BBC Sounds, we're able to play you that interview that happened in our series here. Yes, we spoke to Vicky over Skype um, whilst we sat in our hotel room, which overlooked a BBC car park. And I asked her about what it was like to grow up religious and gay. I was made to feel like there was no option. You know, either you could be gay or you could be a Christian, but not both. I think I think the main emotions I felt were shame and fear. Shame because... I felt like there must be something deeply, deeply wrong with me, that somehow I'd caused this. And then fear, because I just couldn't bear the thought of anybody finding out. So back in the day, did you try to to change your sexuality as well as ignore it? I did. I basically took every single opportunity uh, and every type of conversion therapy that exists. There's lots of different sorts. You know, there's the really dramatic, loud exorcisms and... I unfortunately experienced those. There's also much more subtle forms of conversion therapy, like uh, more like counselling. Basically, any form of conversion therapy that was offered to me, both short term and long term, I, you know, sadly really did try, and they left me very, very damaged. What was the exorcism like? Uh, I was 16 and really, really desperate for something to change. So I went up in front of, it must have been about 4,000 other teenage Christians and was prayed for by adults who shouted at me, put their hands on me, shouted in tongues. I was sobbing, I was crying. I, I felt like vomiting at one point because it was just very traumatic and scary, really, to be in that hyped-up environment. I remember going to bed that night, just remember lying there in my tent, just kind of just feeling so nervous and anxious. Like, what, what is it inside me that's creating these feelings? What have I done to deserve this? And it made not a shred of difference. I was still as gay as I had been an hour earlier, but it left me with a lot of trauma. My mental health really suffered. The shame of kind of being led to believe that I was somehow either causing it or controlled by something evil. And for a teenager, that is just, it's just a lot to take on board, isn't it? Being a teenager is hard enough, but dealing with all of that was, was enough to start leading me to some sort of mental collapse, to be honest. Vicky, I'm just, I'm like bowing my head. I'm so distraught by everything I'm hearing. <laughs> How long did you do it for? How long did you try this stuff? The first time I, I knew I was gay would be as far back as about 12. And it took me till I was 35 to come out. In my late 20s, I actually did reach a point of feeling suicidal. That, 
that may sound very dramatic, but actually with all the people that I work with, kind of helping them on their journeys with this, it's actually not uncommon. There's a lot of us who've been really brought to that dark, dark place by experiences of conversion therapy. Because if you feel that much fear, that much shame, you can just conclude actually that life isn't worth living. Did it have a physical impact on you too? I was singing in all these huge mega churches in America and in the UK. And suddenly I began to develop these really strange white patches on my skin and I had no idea what was going on. So I went to see a doctor and he said actually that it was something very serious. It was an autoimmune disease called scleroderma. And scleroderma is where your skin cells start turning into scar tissue. So he said to me that my body was literally at war with itself, which I thought was was pretty profound. Um, the treatment for it was a form of chemotherapy and that has kind of been treated but has now left me with fibromyalgia and with ME, chronic fatigue syndrome. So my health is pretty wrecked to be honest. I do my best but the doctors said that they believe that trauma and stress and specifically my journey with suppressing my sexuality and all the shame around that, they believe that that led to all of these problems with my immune system. Wow. It's really hard to hear that. I'm so sorry. I can't believe that the place that you're talking about is the UK. I can't believe it. This is happening in the UK. And I would say hundreds of young people, if not bordering on thousands now, have got in touch with me since I came out in 2014, saying that they've had similar experiences, especially at these young people's Bible camps, uh, but also in very quiet, respectable little churches on quiet street corners in England are counselling people, they're having prayer sessions with people, praying that they would be made straight. So it doesn't have to be loud and dramatic, it can be quite quiet, but the effects are just as dangerous. It's just so sad hearing that story, and, and if you needed any more proof that being gay is part of who you are and that you were born that way, that's it. Like, her body was at war with itself because of the trauma that she was going through. You can hear our full series from gay to non-gay, including that interview with Vicky and our conversation with a man that believes he's helping people with so-called gay conversion therapy by searching Tarrit from gay to non-gay on BBC Sounds. I need to sort of say thank you to you, Dan, actually, because you, I mean, you, you held my hand throughout this documentary, not literally because you're not gay, mate, but you held my hand through this whole thing. And that means a lot. Thanks very much. <laughs> Almost 18 months on since recording this series and going to Northern Ireland with you and now a thousand days since the government promised to ban it. I want to know, like, as a non-gay, as Dan, how has this changed you? I'm sort of carrying an awareness around that this thing is still legal and still happening. And at every available opportunity, I've brought it up with people. <laughs> I've just thrown it into basically as many conversations as I can. Just sort of gone, you know, it's still legal to attempt to change someone's sexuality. And in every meeting that we've had as a part of this podcast, it comes up or just in most conversations that I have, I reiterate whether it's relevant or not, that it's still legal in the UK to attempt to convert someone's sexuality. I think that's so funny that you just bring it up. Like you're at Pret and they're like, hey, what can I get you? You know that conversion therapy is still legal in the UK. What's people's reaction to that when you tell them? They don't, they don't hear me correctly. They think I say illegal because Whoa. you just assume it's illegal. And I've, I say, no, no, you didn't mishear me. It's legal. And then what do they say? They're amazed by that, actually, because... It's ridiculous. Could we get, like, the, the, the argument, I mean, we, uh, the, the, it's so stupid because it would just be so easy. If they really, they could do it tomorrow if they wanted to. 
they really wanted to. And, and this is what re- worries me when they say, you know, originally Theresa May's government said we're going to ban it. And now they're saying that they're going to end it soon. But the difference between ban and end is very nuanced, but very significant. Is it? Um, what, what's the difference? Ban makes it illegal. End makes them makes it sound like they're just going to be like, oh, we'd rather you didn't do that. Yeah, sure. Like, could you not? You know, a plan to ban something and a plan to end something are very, very different journeys. I think a plan to ban is like, boom. Whereas a plan to end, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to end it at some point. Like, when I get round to it. I mean, it's it's obviously not a priority for the government who are more focused on uh, sort of being transphobic and, and whatever. I thought you were going to say coronavirus, but you're completely right. So how have you changed then, James? Well, it's definitely changed me. Like the whole thing. When I was younger, I was definitely told that being gay was a sin and I was massively ashamed of being gay. And I wished for a second that I hadn't been gay. I've spent most of my life feeling like being gay is wrong. But doing this documentary, this series in Northern Ireland and and facing all of that shame and everything that anyone's ever told me and then meeting this man that thinks he can like straighten me out and hearing all of the sort of pseudoscience and bollocks, quite frankly, and then hearing all of the amazingly brave stories from LGBTQ plus people like Vicky in the series just now, I think my shame has kind of lifted a little bit, like... I am who I am. I was I was born this way. I'm stronger than yesterday and other iconic pop lyrics. What's I'm stronger than yesterday from? Britney. Free Britney. Which Britney song is that? Stronger. Which one is that? What do you Okay. <laughs> I don't know that. It's, I don't know it. Anyway, I guess the point is, really, we've got to love ourselves. And if we're going by what Bennett was saying just now and the message from that movie being accepted is the cure. So let's accept and love ourselves. So yes, search Tell It from Gay to Non-Gay on BBC Sounds. We should say it's just been re-released, by the way. So it's at the top of that feed. Um, share our series on your Instagram. Share it with your straight mates, your LGBTQ plus friends. Yeah, we need our allies. We need to speak out. We need people to know that this hasn't been banned. We need to talk about it. We need to protest. Post about it on Facebook. Post this episode on Facebook. Make memes. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. Thanks for listening. We love you so much. Yes, We'll see you very soon. It's been a thousand days, y'all. Support a gay and a non-gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.